Turn back to the God who saved you from Egypt, who provided you with this land, who delivered you. And, uh, and it's through that that God was always there with his people. And Isaiah is one of those prophets who we'll be focusing on today. Now, another interesting thing about the time of the prophets is that uh, when you wanted to hear God's word, you didn't have your own Bible. You couldn't just go home, pull one off your shelf, open it, read whatever passage you want. You didn't, it wasn't accessible. You'd have to go somewhere. You'd have to go to either the temple in Jerusalem, or you'd have to, if you were lucky enough, maybe a local synagogue would have one. And you'd go there, and you wouldn't even go there and get your own Bible to read it. You would sit down with a large group of people, and then someone, either a priest or a prophet, would stand up, and they would read it. Or sometimes they would even, uh, because they had typically memorized most of the scriptures at this point, they would just proclaim it, with uninhibited by, by needing to read it. And so... Scott Stark and I wanted the, the Wells to be able to experience this. So uh, that's what I want to do for you today. I've memorized a few chapters of Isaiah that I want to give to you. You didn't receive a Bible on your way in, and that was intentional. Uh, if you brought one, I don't want you to open your Bibles today, because, which so sounds bad. But it's intentional because we just want you to sit and listen and experience God's word as it was originally delivered in spoken word fashion. So before we enter into this time, I want you to first close your eyes and just try to picture being in the time of the prophets. You live in a farming society, but instead of lush fields, you live in more of what's like a mountainous desert. Lifespans are short because there's almost no medical knowledge or technology. Not only that, you live at a crossroads between nations that are larger than you, that are always at war with each other, and often at war with you. Just getting by is hard enough. Now open your eyes and picture living in these days. We have natural disasters, wildfires that devastate places like Australia human slavery that still exists today and the, the end it movement that we're, we're trying to work with to, to end this terrible thing. Relational brokenness, physical and mental illness. Statistically speaking, at least half of you here have or do still experience anxiety or depression or both. And I'm sure you all at some point can relate and understand what it feels like to just be wondering in those moments, where are you, God? What are you doing? Are you even here? And it is in the context of suffering that the prophet Isaiah gives God's words. These words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple filled with smoke. 
Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here here I am. Send me. He said, Go. Tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And I said, for how long, Lord? He said, until cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until houses are left deserted and their fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth will remain in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He'll not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. And with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the lion, and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. 
Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for their transgressions. So, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ancient ruins that have been destroyed for generations. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance And so you will receive a double portion, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, and their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, so in the midst of that, I want to ask you, I want to hear some of your feedback. What were some of the words, what were some of the ideas that, that stood out to you, that really stuck with you from any point in there? Just a few. Righteousness. Huge piece in that, yes. What else? Rooted. There's a lot of plant imagery. Rooted. The Lord rises. Double portion. One more. Spirit of 
hear but not understand. That's a wide range of ideas. There's, there's positive and negative, like all mixed in there together. There's so, it's so confusing but inspiring. It's sad yet hopeful. It's, it's the Lord's word, sharper than a two-edged sword. But all these ideas are connected. They're all connected. They go together, and there's a flow of thought. So first off, Isaiah answers the question, where are you, God? Where is he? And he starts off with saying, God is seated on a throne. No matter what's happening on earth, he is sovereign and ruling over everything happening. He is there, and he is able. But then the next part is God tells Isaiah that his nation, Judah at this point, the only part of the kingdom that's still remaining, that Judah is going to be cut down too. It's going to be cut down so that only a stump remains. And there are so many questions we could have about this, but I think the biggest one weighing on all of us right now is just why? Why, why so much suffering? Why, why did it exist then? Why does it exist now? And I, we could spend weeks talking about this, but I'll try to summarize it in just uh, two ideas. The first is just, it's a con- sin is a, suffering is a consequence of the fact that we as humans have free will. We make decisions that harm ourselves or harm other people. Think of things like the Me Too movement and the, the, the abuse of power or the End It movement. And, and human trafficking that still happens. That's because people have made choices that harm other people, or we make decisions that harm ourselves. It's just a, a tragic reality right now that, that God promises to fix, but, but we're, we're in, the, in the waiting still. And more generally, suffering happens in this world just as a result of living in, in sinful space. Could you put up a picture of the timeline? Um... If we go all the way back to the first message we heard, we went to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and how humanity brought sin into creation by disobeying God. And that just shook all of creation and reshaped everything from that point on. And so it's just a consequence of living in sinful space. I make this distinction only to say that God promises someone who will come and take on all of our suffering. Yet, for the time being, it's part of our experience, and suffering always feels like we are being cut down. Continuing with Isaiah, the next idea that's really, really laid into is the idea of God's righteousness. Righteousness. It's a word that we don't really like Today, it has a bad connotation because we hear that and we think of people who are self-righteous, who try to justify their own bad actions, or just even in the history of the church, so many terrible things have been done in the name of righteousness. But that is not what this is. In Isaiah, he always puts the word righteousness next to justice because those ideas go together. Because righteousness is doing right things. It is making things right, which is always the end goal of justice, which is what we long for in the midst of suffering. 
And so through Isaiah, because of God's righteousness, he promises someone to comfort the mourning and bind up the brokenhearted because God's righteousness is not content with our suffering. So in the biblical story, the people wait. They wait for an answer. They wait for this promise to be fulfilled. Until one day in a town of Nazareth, I'm reading from Luke 4, 16 through 21. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And everyone's eyes were on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All the hope and the waiting and the unrealized dreams fulfilled in Christ, in his life, his death, his resurrection, he takes on our suffering and takes it to the cross. Again, this is another thing it would take weeks to unpack, but I think we're all left with the question, why still do we have suffering? If Jesus came and took it all, why does suffering still exist? And going back to the timeline, uh, This is what a lot of people call the already, but not yet. We're in the the in-between time of when Christ came at, at that cross, and he took all our suffering on him and began this process of renewal and restoration. And we await the day at the very end in Revelation where all things are made new. God promises a new heaven and a new earth. All things will be made new. I wish I could give... Uh, the great example of my wife's story and how God has saved her miraculously with some health issues that she had. But then also, she still experiences health-related suffering to this day. She's experienced the already, and she lives in the not yet. There's not enough time to give you the full story, but I, I trust you understand where I'm coming from. But notice in Isaiah's, and even in Jesus' time, God never says that we won't experience suffering. He doesn't, even, uh, he doesn't promise that we won't be cut down. In fact, he often says that we will suffer in this life. But God does promise that from our suffering, new life will grow. From the stump, a shoot will grow. God promises that from our suffering, where we've been cut down, new life will grow again. In God's kingdom, the stump is never the end of the tree story. It is the beginning. And God promises they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. The stump grows into the oak. That is God's promise. And the idea that God's oaks 
Anything that is solid and deeply rooted and meaningful, it always grows from something that has been cut down. Look back at the timeline. Go back to the timeline. Thank you. Look at what's at either end. The tree where we brought all sin into the world and the tree where God promises to make it all new again. So I did some, some research on this idea of what does it mean for a shoot to come up from the stump. And I found, I found a site that is actually about like pest and yard control, how to get rid of a stump when you're trying to kill it. And it says, the stumps of most woody species regrow after they're cut, and some tenacious trees and shrubs sprout again and again, even if they are repeatedly cut to the ground. And in the midst of that, I see God's promise. No matter how much you're cut down, the end story, life will grow from that. And so as I was studying for this, I remembered a moment at Holland State Park where we actually had a campus ministry summer gathering at a cookout. Right by the grill where I was cooking, I saw a stump. Go ahead and show the picture. I don't, I don't know how well you can see that. It's not a clear picture. I wasn't at the time planning on using it for a sermon. But it's... It's hollowed out. It's cut down. It's hollowed out. It's planted in sand. And it like, when I, when I picture the idea of a shoot coming up, I picture one little thing like, this is life from death. And that's the picture that I see when I hear God's promises. So I don't know where you're at right now. I'm assuming every one of you has understood suffering in your life at some point. I don't know whether it's because of your actions, someone else's, or just living in sinful space. You might see a sprout coming up in your life. You might feel like you are still just a stump. We're about to take communion together, which is our way of remembering Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. As Cody and the band come up to lead us in communion, I want to encourage you to consider the ways and what it means that Christ took up our suffering and what are the ways that God might be bringing new life out of your suffering? Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we're not alone in our pain, in our suffering. That out of suffering, we can find the joy of new life and rebirth. And we thank you that we don't experience that on our own, but that you yourself experienced it, that you sent Jesus to take on our suffering and bear our sins on our behalf and begin this process of renewal where we get to experience being made new. We still await the day where it will come to full fruition, but we thank you for the ways that we still see it today in glimpses, in moments, in miracles. I pray that over the people here, that wherever they're at, that they will know that you are growing new life from the stump of where they've been cut down. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.